above the noise. Turn and run to you. I have no choice. I'm choosing to trust in love over logic. Following the sound of your voice. Yes, I am hearing you above the din. Touch on my skin Choosing to trust and love over Drawing empty breath again again Choosing to trust and love over Drawing empty breath again again Okay, welcome you guys Nice to be with you again. This is Richard Sachs, your host on Lost Arts Radio. This is our show for Worldwide Broadcast on Sunday, the 12th day of November 2017. As the year winds down and our third year of broadcasting nears its end as well. Not quite. A few more weeks, but we're getting there. Um, It's amazing. It feels like we started a few minutes ago. And, you know, I, I wanted to let you know this is an unusual show tonight we recently broadcast our rebroadcast our our synthetic interview our first posthumous interview with dr andrew molden the famous canadian brain expert who was uh, so courageous and clear in teaching and explaining to people um in large audiences really uh that vaccines don't have any risk because risk involves the possibility that you could get hurt and the possibility that you would not get hurt. And he let people know uh, that really wasn't the case. There was a 100% chance that if you were vaccinated, you'd have damage. We found out later, fortunately, don't worry, it, it is in most cases reversible. And I've seen that again and again to be true. But He was mostly focusing on letting people know, look, this is not preventing disease. That's a complete myth, originally a malicious fraud by the people who are perpetrating it and still are. And that there's no risk because it's a 100% chance that it will damage your brain and your body. And he showed audiences in person how to recognize that. It was amazing. I mean, he put it up on big screens in front of audiences and said, look at how the eyes are pointing here. That is uh, an indication that such and such brain nerve is damaged and that it caused not only many strokes or sometimes not so many to the to the brain, but also what he called strokes to the other organs of the body, cutting off oxygen and blood supply and things like that. And he was great, incredibly courageous, a, a great teacher. Um, not everybody who's an expert is a great teacher, but he was, could make things simple. Um, but he, I think he was kind of naive about the magnitude of the adversary that he was up against. And so he thought he was going to go to Congress in the U.S. and tell them all the crimes being committed by the vaccine and drug companies and that they should compensate people for this massive damage that they had done to humanity. And he didn't realize that, look, the government's in on it. They're totally controlled by bribes and blackmail. It's all connected with the operation of the Federal Reserve, and it gets quite complex. Anyway, they couldn't let him stay alive. So by the time I realized that I wanted him to be a guest on the show, and I I didn't really know about him before, He was already dead, physically dead. So I was pretty frustrated, and then I decided, hey, why not have him on the show anyway? I kind of like thinking outside the box, as you may have noticed before now. So just because he was not physically alive um, in the present and available now, why wouldn't he be available in the past, right? So with massive help from Doug Diamond, who just by coincidence, and I'm kidding there, there are no coincidences, happens to have great expertise in all the uh, video and audio recording and mastering skills and many others connected with that, we actually electronically went back in time and found material from Dr. Molden, and we brought the show to him. And then we brought it back 
to the present for you. And we just, as I said, rebroadcast it. And I think a lot of people liked it. I hope you got a chance to hear it. It's free. You should go in the archives and hear it uh, from very recent. And then we thought, recently the uh, idea came up. And Doug said, why don't we try this again? Uh, We could do it with somebody else. And other people were recommending this too. And I thought, wow, that's interesting. Yeah, you're right. Well, it was a tremendous amount of work. I mean, it's hard to express what goes into that. It's it's way more work than doing a, a live interview with an actual physically present guest. But the results are pretty amazing. So I figured, all right, let's go back in time again and see who else we could find who might be willing to do a show with us Uh, even though they were no longer physically alive, that we could bring back then to the present to share with you. And so we did. And I realized there are lots of great people who would love to be on our show. And just because there's a minor problem with their physical body and they're no longer, you know, physically alive, why should we hold that against them or screen them out from being on the show if they're such a great person? Then it's that much more important that we let them talk now And wouldn't this be frustrating to the power structure that, in many cases, has eliminated? Of course, it it includes people who have died naturally, too. There are some of those, you know, and some of them are great as well. But uh, there are also some that have died um, unnaturally young, like in the song, you know, uh, Abraham, Martin, and John about the the good dying young and things like that. They don't always die young, but some of them did. So anyway, we went back and looked around at all the great people who would be waiting to talk to us and would be happy to cooperate. And one of the most exciting we decided to try first. Um, And he's here waiting with us now. I'm actually talking to you from the past, 50 years in the past. We thought we'd try a minor time experiment first. And he's here with us now. I'm back in his place. And we, you know, we had to go back in time to find him, and instead of uh, having him come to the Lost Arts virtual studio, we had to come here and found him. Um, guess where we found him? We found him in a church uh, with a congregation waiting to listen to him talk, and um, they're all around us right now. <laughs> You're going to probably hear them in the background uh, staring at us wondering where we came from. We probably look a little bit odd and don't exactly fit the time of 50 years, you know, prior to when you guys are listening to this. But uh, they're wondering where we came from, but but we, um, our reverend friend, literally and figuratively reverend, res- greatly respected reverend friend, knows who we are, and he's been waiting for us because we had this arranged. Um... And he wants his chance to talk to people in the future. That means you. And um, I guess that's, that's you know, we don't script the introductions here. I'm just telling you what I want you to know and why I'm sitting here talking to you back in the, in the past, ready to bring this back to you when we've got it all put together. So hopefully it'll go like, like it's planned. And uh, I just want to tell you, uh, to our guests, thank you, sir, for letting us come from 50 years in the future and be part of your service tonight and turn it into a little bit of a Q&A discussion instead of just a, a sermon on your part. I hope you don't mind if I interrupt you and ask some questions and things like that. And Doug and I are honored to meet you. It's an incredible opportunity, which I honestly didn't expect to get, and we didn't realize what the possibilities might be. And to be here with you, uh, this morning, we're here with totally goodwill. In case anybody's looking at us like space aliens, and uh, gratitude for all that you uh, are doing for humanity. It is always a rich and rewarding experience to uh, take a, deep, a brief break from our day-to-day demands in the struggle for freedom and human dignity and discuss the issues involved in that struggle with concerned friends of goodwill. Sir, still 
If you could choose any subject to discuss today, to preach today in your sermon that, you know, we're going to interrupt a little bit, but it's still your sermon. If you could choose any subject, not not just for your audience here, but also to our audience that is waiting to hear this in the future through technology that you're not really familiar with that, that's happened in the 50 years ahead now. What do you think would be a really good topic to cover? And I, I just want to suggest, let's choose something deep and unique that people in the future can relate to. I want to use as a subject from which to preach the three dimensions of a complete life. That sounds very interesting. And usually three dimensions are length, width, and height, you know, but what do you mean when you say three dimensions of life? What does that actually mean? You know, they used to tell us in Hollywood that in order for a movie to be complete, it had to be three-dimensional. Well, this morning I want to seek to get over to each of us that if life itself is to be complete, it must be three-dimensional. Many, many centuries ago, there was a man by the name of John who found himself in prison out on a lonely, obscure island called Patmos. And I've been in prison just enough to know that it's a lonely experience. And when you are incarcerated in such a situation, you are deprived of almost every freedom. But the freedom to think, the freedom to pray, the freedom to reflect and to meditate. And while John was out on this lonely island in prison, he lifted his vision to high heaven. And he saw descending out of heaven a new heaven and a new earth. Over in the 21st chapter of the book of Revelation, it opens by saying, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven. And one of the greatest glories of this new city of God that John saw was its completeness. It was not up on one side and down on the other, but it was complete in all three of its dimensions. And so in this same chapter, as we look down to the 16th, verse. John says, the length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. In other words, this new city of God, this new city of ideal humanity is not an unbalanced entity, but is complete on all sides. Now, I think John is saying something here in all of the symbolism of this uh, text and the symbolism of this chapter. He's saying at bottom that life as it should be and life at its best is a life that is complete on all sides. And there are three dimensions of any complete life to which we can fitly give the words of this text. Length, breadth, and height. Now the length of life as we shall use it here is the inward concern for one's own welfare. In other words, it is that inward concern that causes one to push forward to achieve his own goals and ambitions. 
The breath of life as we shall use it here is the outward concern for the welfare of others. And the height of life is the upward reach for God. Now you got to have all three of these to have a complete life. Now let's turn for the moment to the length of life. I said that this is the dimension of life where we are concerned with developing our inner power. In a sense, this is the selfish dimension of life. So, Dr. King, do you agree that enlightened selfishness is a good thing? We've been talking about that on our radio show. There is such a thing as rational and healthy self-interest. A great Jewish rabbi, the late Joshua Liebman, wrote a book some years ago entitled Peace of Mind. And he has a chapter in that book entitled Love Thyself Properly. And what he says in that chapter in substance is that before you can love other selves adequately, you've got to love your own self properly. You know, a lot of people don't love themselves. They go through life with deep and haunting emotional conflicts. So the length of life means that you must love yourself And you know what loving yourself also means? It means that you've got to accept yourself. So many people are busy trying to be somebody else. God gave all of us something and something significant and, and we must pray every day. Asking God to help us to accept ourselves. Now, I'm assuming, Dr. King, you mean even parts of ourselves that still need some work. That means everything. Too many Negroes are ashamed of themselves, ashamed of being black. A Negro got to rise up and say from the bottom of his soul, I am somebody. I have a rich, noble, and proud heritage. However exploited and however painful my history has been, I'm black, but I'm black and beautiful. This is what we got to say. We've got to accept ourselves. And we must pray, Lord, help me to accept myself every day. Help me to accept my two. That's really important, not to judge us ourselves because um, we're not the same as everybody else. I remember when I was in college, I majored in sociology, and all sociology majors had to take a course that was cri- uh, required called statistics. And statistics can be very complicated. You've got to have a mathematical mind, a real knowledge of geometry, and you've got to know how to find the mean, the mode, and the medium. I never will forget, I took this course, and I had a fellow classmate who could just work that stuff out, you know, and he could uh, do his homework in about an hour. We would often go to the lab of the workshop and he would just work it out in about an hour and it was over for him. And I was trying to do what he was doing. I was trying to do mine in an hour. And the more I tried to do it in an hour, the more I was flunking out in the course. And I had to come to a very hard conclusion. I had to sit down and say, now Martin Luther King, Leif Kane has a better mind than you. Sometimes you have to acknowledge that. And I had to say to myself, now, he may be able to do it in an hour, but it takes me two or three hours to do it. I was not willing to accept myself. I was not willing to accept my tools and my limitations. But you know, in life, we are called upon to do this. 
Ford car trying to be a Cadillac is absurd, but if a Ford will accept itself as a Ford, it can do many things that a Cadillac could never do. It can get in parking spaces that a Cadillac can never get in. And in life, some of us are Fords and some of us are Cadillacs. Moses says in green pastures, Lord, I ain't much, but I's all I got. The principle of self-acceptance is a basic principle in life. Now, the other thing about the length of life, us accepting ourselves and our tools, we must discover what we are called to do. And once we discover it, we should set out to do it with all of the strength and all of the power that we have in our system. After we've discovered what God called us to do, after we've discovered our life's work, we should set out to do that work so well that the living, the dead, or the unborn couldn't do it any better. Now, this does not mean that everybody will do the so-called big recognized things of life. Very few people will rise to the heights of genius and the arts and the sciences. Very few collectively will rise to certain professions. Most of us will have to be content to work in the fields and in the factories and in on the streets, but we must see the dignity of all labor. When I was in Montgomery, Alabama, I went to a shoe shop quite often, known as the Gordon Shoe Shop. And there was a fella in there that used to shine my shoes, and it was just an experience to witness this fella shining my shoes. He would get that rag, you know. And he could bring music out of it. And I said to myself, this fella has a Ph.D. in shoe shining. <laughs> what I'm saying to you this morning, my friend, even if it falls your lot to be a street sweeper, go on out and sweep streets like Michelangelo painted pictures. Sweep streets like Handel and Beethoven composed music. Sweep streets like Shakespeare wrote poetry. Sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will have to pause and say, Here lived a great street sweeper who swept his job well. If you can't be a pine on the top of a hill, be a scrub in the valley, but be the best little scrub on the side of the reel. Be a bush if you can't be a tree. If you can't be a highway, just be a trail. If you can't be the sun, be a star. It isn't by size that you win or you fail. Be the best of whatever you are. And when you do this, when you do this, you've mastered the length of life. This onward push. To the end of self-fulfillment is the end of a person's life. Now, don't stop here, though. You know, a lot of people get no further in life than the length. They, they develop their inner powers. They do their jobs well. Do you know they try to live as if nobody else lives in the world but themselves? And they use everybody as mere tools to get to where they're going. They don't love anybody but themselves. And the only kind of love that they really have for other people is utilitarian love. You know, they just love people that they can use. A lot of people never get beyond the first dimension of life. They use other people as mere steps to which or by which they can climb to their goals and their ambitions. These people don't work out well in life. 
Dr. King, I've noticed the same thing. Not appreciating others in the end really doesn't get us what we want anyway. It might seem like it's working for a while, but then things don't go the way we planned. Things happen. Some people call what some people call karma. They may go for a while. They may think they're making it all right. But there is a law. They call it the law of gravitation in the physical universe. And it works. It's final. It's inexorable. Whatever goes up can come down. You shall reap what you sow. God has structured this universe that way. And he who goes through life not concerned about others will be a subject victim of this law. So I move on and say that it is necessary to add breath to length. And you said breath was caring about each other, if I remember correctly. Now, the breath of life is the outward concern for the welfare of others, as I said. And a man has not begun to live until he can rise above the narrow confines of his own individual concerns to the broader concerns of all humanity. One day Jesus told a parable. You will remember that parable. He had a man that came to him to talk with him about some very profound concerns. And they finally got around to the question, who is my neighbor? This man wanted to to debate with Jesus. This question could have very easily ended up in thin air as a theological or philosophical debate. You remember Jesus immediately pulled that question out of thin air and placed it on a dangerous curve between Jerusalem and Jericho. He talked about a certain man who fell among thieves. Two men came by and they just kept going and then finally another man came, a member of another race who stopped and helped him. And that parable ends up saying that this good Samaritan was a great man, he was a good man, because he was concerned about more than himself. Now you know there are many ideas about why the priest and the Levite passed and didn't stop to help that man. A lot of ideas about it. Some say that they were going to a a, a church service, and they were running a little late, you know, and couldn't be late for church, so... They, they kept going because they had to get uh, down to the synagogue. And then there are others who would say that they were involved in the priesthood and consequently there was a priestly law which said that if you were going to administer the sacrament or what have you, you couldn't touch a human body 24 hours before worship. Now, there's another possibility. It is possible that they were going down to Jericho to organize a Jericho Road Improvement Association. That's another possibility. And they may have passed by because they felt that it was better to deal with the problem from the causal source rather than one individual victim. That's a possibility. So, I would guess you're going to tell us that... None of those reasons was the real one that they didn't stop to help. But you know, when I think about this parable, I, I think of another possibility as I use my imagination. It's possible that these men passed by on the other side because they were afraid. You know, the Jericho Road is a dangerous road. I've been on it, and I know I never will forget when Mrs. King and I were in... The Holy Land, some time ago, we rented a car. And we drove from Jerusalem down to Jericho, a distance of about 16 miles. You get on that Jericho road. I'm telling you, it's a winding, a curving, meandering 
road. Very conducive for robbery. And I said to my wife, I said, Now I can see why Jesus used this road as the occasion for his parable. Here you are when you start out in Jerusalem, you're 2,200 feet above sea level, and when you get down to Jericho, 16 miles later, I mean, you're yet 16 miles from Jerusalem, you're 1,200 feet below sea level. During the days of Jesus, that road came to the point of being the bloody, known as the bloody path. So when I think about the priest and the Levite, I think those brothers were afraid. They were just like me. I was... Going out to my father's house in Atlanta the other day, he lives about three or four miles from me, and you go out there by going down Simpson Road. And then when I came back later that night, and Bernard can tell you, Simpson Road is a winding road. And a fellow was standing out there trying to flag me down. And I, I, I felt that he needed some help. I knew he needed help. But I, I didn't know, and I'll be honest with you, I kept going. Uh, I, I wasn't really willing to take the risk. I say to you this morning that the first question that the priest asked was the first question that I asked on that Jericho Road of Atlanta known as Simpson Road. The first question that the Levite asked was... If I stop to help this man, if I stop to help this man, what would happen to me? So, Doctor King, did the Samaritan not ask the same questions of what might happen to him if he stopped? But the good Samaritan came by, and he reversed the question: not what will happen to me if I stop to help this man, but what will happen to this man if I do not stop to help him. This was why that man was good and great. He was great because he was willing to take a risk for humanity. He was willing to ask what will happen to this man, not what will happen to me. This is what God needs today. Men and women who will ask what will happen to humanity if I don't help. What will happen to the civil rights movement if I don't participate? What will happen to my city if I don't vote? What will happen to the sick if I don't visit them? This is how God judges people in the final analysis. Oh, there will be a day. The question won't be, how many awards did you get in life? Not that day. It won't be how popular were you in your social setting. That won't be the question that day. It will not ask how many degrees you've been able to get. The question that day will not be concerned with whether you are a Ph.D. or no D. Will not be concerned with whether you went to Morehouse or whether you went to No House. The question that day will not be how beautiful is your house. The question that day will not be how much money did you accumulate, how much did you have in stocks and bonds. The question that day will not be what kind of automobile did you have. On that day, the question will be what did you do for others. I can hear somebody saying, Lord, uh, I did a lot of things in life. I did my job well. The world honored me for doing my job. I did a lot of things. Lord, I went to school and I studied hard. I accumulated a lot of money, Lord. That's what I did. Seems that I can hear the Lord of life saying, But I was hungry and you fed me not. I was sick and you visited me not. I was naked and you clothed me not. I was in prison and you weren't concerned about me. So get out of my face. What did you do for others? This is the breath of life. Somewhere along the way, we must learn that there is nothing greater than to do something for others. And this is the way I've decided to go the rest of my days. That's what I'm concerned about. John, uh, if you and Bernard happen to be around when I come to the latter day, 
From that moment across the Jordan, I want you to tell them that I made a request. I don't want a long funeral. In fact, I don't even need a eulogy. More than one or two minutes. I hope that I will live so well the rest of the day. I don't know how long I'll live, and I'm not concerned about that. But I hope I can live so well that the preacher can get up and say he was faithful. That's all. That's enough. That's the sermon I'd like to hear. Well done, thy good and faithful servant. You've been faithful. You've been concerned about others. That's where I want to go from this point on the rest of my day. He who is greatest among you shall be your servant. I want to be a servant. I want to be a witness for my Lord. Do something for others. Actually, Dr. King, we're all connected to each other anyway, aren't we? So serving each other is natural, isn't it? You have what you have because of others. Don't forget that. We are tied together in life and in the world. And you may think you got all you got by yourself. You know, before you got out here to church this morning, you were dependent on more than half of the world. You get up in the morning and go to the bathroom and you reach over for a bar of soap and that's handed to you by a Frenchman. You reach over for a sponge and that's given to you by a Turk. You reach over for a towel and that comes to your hand from the hands of a Pacific Islander. And then you go on to the kitchen to get your breakfast. You reach on over to get a little coffee and that's poured in your cup by a South American. Or maybe you decide that you want a little tea this morning only to discover that that's poured in your cup by a Chinese. Or maybe you want a little cocoa that's poured in your cup by a West African. Then you want a little bread and you reach over to get it and that's given to you by the hands of an English-speaking farmer, not to mention the baker. Before you get through eating breakfast in the morning, you're dependent on more than half of the world. That's the way God structured it. That's the way God structured this world. So let us be concerned about others because we are dependent on others. But don't stop here either. You know, a lot of people master the length of life. And they master the breadth of life, but they stop right there. Yes, I remember you said there is one more dimension. I think it was about connecting your life to God or to spirit. Now, if life is to be complete, we must move beyond our self-interest. We must move beyond humanity and reach up, way up for the God of the universe whose purpose changeth not. Now, a lot of people have neglected this third dimension. You know, the interesting thing is a lot of people neglect it and don't even know they are neglecting it. They just beget, they get involved in other things. Are you talking about people who may be very good people, but they don't believe in God? You know, there are two kinds of atheism. Atheism is the theory that there is no God. Now, one kind is a theoretical kind where somebody just sits down and starts thinking about it and they come to the conclusion that they have no God. The other kind is a practical atheism and that kind goes out of living as if there is no God. And you know there are a lot of people who affirm the existence of God with their lips and they deny his existence with their lives. You've seen these people who have a high blood pressure of creeds and an anemia of deeds. They deny the existence of God with their lives and they just become so involved in other things. They become so involved in getting a big bank account. They become so involved in getting a beautiful house which we all should have. 
They become so involved in getting a beautiful car that they unconsciously just forget about God. There are those who become so involved in looking at the man-made lights of the city that they unconsciously forget rise up and look at that great cosmic light and think about it that gets up in the eastern horizon every morning and moves across the sky with a kind of symphony of motion and paints its technicolor across the blue, a light that man can never make. They become so involved in looking at the skyscraping buildings of the loop of Chicago or the Empire State Building of New York. They unconsciously forget to think about the gigantic mountains that kiss the skies as if to bathe their peaks in the lofty blue, something that man could never make. They become so busy thinking about radar and their television. They unconsciously forget to think about the stars that bedeck the heavens like swinging lanterns of eternity. Those stars that appear to be shiny silvery pins sticking in the magnificent blue pincushion. They become so involved in thinking about man's progress. They forget to think about the need for God's power in history. They end up going days and days not knowing that God is not with them. And I'm here to tell you today that we need God. Modern man may know a great deal, but his knowledge does not eliminate God. And I tell you this morning that God is here to stay. A few theologians are trying to say that God is dead. Isn't it strange that man who is in a barely conscious state decides that the original source that is keeping us alive every second somehow died, but we're still here? It disturbs me to know that God died and I didn't have a chance to attend the funeral. They haven't been able to tell me yet the date of his death. They haven't been able to tell me yet who the coroner was that pronounced him dead. They haven't been able to tell me yet where he's buried. You see, when I think about God, I I know his name. He said somewhere uh, back in the Old Testament, I want you to go out, Moses, and tell them I am sent you. And he said, just to make it clear, let them know that uh, my last name is the same as my first. I am that I am. Make that clear. I am. And God is the only being in the universe that can say I am and put a period behind me. Each of us sitting here has to say, I am because of my parents. I am because of environmental conditions. I am because of certain hereditary circumstances. I am because of God, but God is the only being that can just say I am and stop right there. I am that I am. And he's here to stay. Let nobody make us feel that we don't need God. As I come to my conclusion this morning, I want to say that we should search for him. We were made for God and we will be restless until we find rest in him. And I say to you this morning that this is the personal faith that has kept me going. Dr. King, does your connection to God help you not to worry and not be afraid of what may happen in the years ahead? I'm not worried about the future. You know, even on this race question, I'm not worried. I was down in Alabama the other day, and I started thinking about the state of Alabama where we worked so hard, and they continued to elect the Wallaces. Down in my home state of Georgia, we have another sick governor by the name of Lester Maddox. And all of these things can get you confused, but but they don't worry me. Because the God that I worship, 
is a God that has a way of saying even to kings and even to governors, be still and know that I'm God. God has not yet turned over this universe to Lester Maddox and Lurleen Wallace. Somewhere I read, the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. And I'm going on because I have faith in it. I do not know what the future holds, but I do know who holds the future. And if he'll guide us and hold our hand, we'll go on in. Dr. King, can you tell us any story from the early civil rights campaign where your confidence and faith were, were faltering and how you got through it? I remember down in Montgomery, Alabama, an experience that I'd like to share with you when we were in the midst of the bus boycott. We had a marvelous old lady that we affectionately called Sister Pollock. She was a wonderful lady, about 72 years old, and she was still working at that age. During the boycott, she would walk every day to and from work. She was the one that somebody stopped one day and said, wouldn't you like to ride? And she said, no. And then the driver moved on and stopped and thought uh, and backed up a little and said, well, aren't you tired? She said, yes, my feet is tired, but my soul is resting. She was a marvelous lady. And one week I can remember that I had gone through a very difficult week. Threatening calls had come in all day and all night the night before. And I was beginning to falter and to get weak within and to lose my courage. And I never will forget that I went to the mass meeting that Monday night very discouraged and a little afraid and wondering whether we were going to win the struggle. And I got up to make my talk that night, but it didn't come out with strength and power. Sister Paula came up to me after the meeting and said, Son, what's wrong with you? I said, you didn't talk strong enough tonight. And I said, uh, nothing is wrong, Sister Paula. I'm all right. She said, you can't fool me. <laughs> said, uh, something wrong with you. And then she went on to say these words. Is the white folks doing something to you that you don't like? I said, everything is going to be all right, Sister Paula. Then she finally said, now come close to me. And let me tell you something one more time, and I want you to hear it this time. She said, now, I done told you we's with you. She said, now, even if we ain't with you, the Lord is with you. And she concluded by saying, the Lord's going to take care of you. I've seen many things since that day. I've gone through many experiences since that night in Montgomery, Alabama. Since that time, Sister Pollard has died. Since that time, I've been in more than 18 jail cells. Since that time, I've come perilously close to death at the hands of a diminished Negro woman. Since that time, I've seen my home bomb three times. Since that time, I've had to live every day under the threat of death. Since that time, I've had many frustrating and bewildering nights. But over and over again, I can still hear Sister Pollitt's words. God's going to take care of you. So today I can face any man... And any woman with my feet solidly placed on the ground, my head in the air, because I know that when you are right, God will fight your battle. Darker yet may be the night, harder yet may be the fight. Just stand up 
But that which is right seems that I can hear a voice speaking even this morning saying to all of us, stand up for what is right. Stand up for what is just. Lo, I will be with thee even until the end of the world. Yes, I've seen the lightning flash. I've heard the thunder roar. I've felt sin breakers dashing, trying to conquer my soul. But I heard the voice of Jesus saying still to fight on. He promised never to leave me. Never to leave me alone. No, never alone. No, never alone. He promised never to leave me. Never to leave me alone. I go on in believing that. Reach out and find the breath of life. You may not be able to define God in philosophical terms. Men through the ages have tried to talk about him. Plato said that he was the architectonic good. Aristotle called him the move mover. Hegel called him the absolute whole. Then there was a man named Paul Tillich who called him being itself. We don't need to know all of these men. Another way. One day you ought to rise up and say, I know him because he's a lily of the valley. He's a bright and morning star. He's a rose of Sharon. He's a Dunlop in the time of battle. And then somewhere you ought to just reach out and say, he's my everything. He's my mother and my father. He's my sister and my brother. He's a friend to the friendly. This is the God of the universe. If you believe in him and worship him, some will have him in your life. You'll smile when others around you are crying. This is the power of God. Go out this morning. Love yourself. That means rational and healthy self-interest. You are commanded to do that. That's the length of life. Then follow that. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. You're commanded to do that. That's the breath of life. But I'm going to take my seat now by letting you know that there's a first and even greater commandment. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength. I think the psychologist would just say with all thy personality. And when you do that, you've got the breath of life. And when you get all three of these together, you can walk and never get weary. You can look up and see the morning stars singing together and the sons of God shouting for joy. When you get all of these working together in your very, in your very life, we'll roll down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. When you get all of three of these together, the lamb will lie down with the lamb. When you get all three of these together, you look up and every valley will be exalted and every hill and mountain will be made low. The rough places will be made plain and the crooked places straight and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh will see it together. When you get all three of these working together, you will do unto others as you have them do unto you. When you get all three of these together, you will recognize that out of one blood God made all men. Dr. King, we're about out of time, but if you'd consider a request... I would like to ask, could you please um, state that last thought for all of us who remember your great speech about having a dream, about the dream that you had for humanity? By saying, I still have a dream. Because you know you can't give up in life. If you lose hope somehow, you lose that vitality that keeps life moving. You lose that courage to be that quality that helps you to go on in spite of. And so today I still have a dream. Men will rise up and come to see that they are made to live together as brothers. I still have a dream this morning that one day every Negro in this country, every colored person in the world will be judged on the basis of the content of his character rather than the color of his skin. And every man will respect the dignity and worth of human personality. I still have a dream today that one day the idle industries of Appalachia will be revitalized. And empty stomachs 
of Mississippi will be filled and brotherhood will be more than a few words at the end of a prayer but the first order of business on every legislative agenda. I still have a dream today that one day justice will roll down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. I still have a dream today that in all of our state houses and city halls men will be elected to go there who will do justly and love mercy and walk humbly with their God. I still have a dream today that one day war will come to an end that men will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Yes. And nations will no longer rise up against nations, neither will they study war anymore. I still have a dream today that one day the lamb and the lion will lie down together and every man will sit under his own vine and fig tree and none shall be afraid. I still have a dream today that one day every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill will be made low. The rough places will be made plain and the crooked places straight. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. I still have a dream. And with this faith, we will be able to adjourn the counsels of despair and bring new light into the dark chambers of pessimism. With this faith, we will be able to speed up the day yes. when there will be peace on earth and goodwill toward men. It will be a glorious day. The morning stars will sing together and the sons of God will shout for joy. Amen, and thank you, Dr. King, for your timeless inspiration. We want you to know that 50 years in the future... We still share your vision. Some things have gotten a lot better. Some of the things have gotten a lot better, but we still have people in power that want to destroy all of us, which is not great. Um, They want all races to hate each other. They want the two sexes to hate each other. They want the rich and the poor people to hate each other. People from different social classes, people from countries and religions to hate each other, but more of us are waking up and realizing we're all made from the same spirit and we need to heal ourselves, love our love each other, love ourselves, and heal the planet from all the damage that's been done. So good things are happening though you know, through all of us now, I should say, through all of us. And Dr. King, you're still helping us and we We'll see you again, I'm sure. Okay, everyone, we're back in 2017, refreshed and ready to do our part, letting beauty flow into our lives and all that we do, flowing out to bless every person around us and in our thoughts, whether they're good people or bad people. The point is that we let the same energy go out to everyone. Yes, you have to defend yourself, your rights, your family, your friends, people that need defending anywhere but not with hatred and we want to rise to a different level than the level on which the problem exists so that we have a chance to actually solve it and I want to thank you personally for being part of this work you know that we're here to remind you that you personally are the hope of humanity in the real sense I'm not being figurative or talking to everybody in general I mean you personally And the the show is to help us wake up to realize who we are. The biggest taboo that I have encountered in all my decades of research and experimentation and discovery and exploration. It's you that are what you're not supposed to discover. And remember Maximus in Gladiator said, What we do in life echoes in eternity. But we've all made mistakes. And in the process of learning and I would just add no matter what we've done in life up to now now that we're starting to wake up to who we are what we do inside ourselves will reflect in the world outside that's our show for tonight so remember our website you can go there during the week or anytime and uh, get on the forum share your thoughts 
ask questions, make observations, disagree, whatever you want. And there's uh, all kinds of articles and videos, educational ones that we're posting up there all the time, totally free. Uh, if you have money to help us keep going, great. We'd deeply appreciate that. There's donate buttons and addresses to send uh, money direct to the nonprofit in case you don't want PayPal to take part of it. Um, the free archives, as I said. There's a new Facebook group. You're personally invited to come participate in it, tell other people. Um, we're doing this work with you personally. And, um, you know, every day, this, this is not just giving homework to our audience, as some of our listeners have pointed out. It, when we talk about this thing, I, this gives me the same homework that you've got. So I'm trying to keep it up every day the best as possible. And I hope that between now and next Saturday, you have a great week. And maybe meet me here next Saturday for our discussion show when you can actually call in, be part of the show, talk about what happened with Martin Luther King tonight, who we incredibly got a chance to uh, be with on a very personal level and feel what he was really like through his words. And you can talk about what we learned during the week and in trying to actually do this work in your life every day. So meet me next Saturday. And then the day after that for our next guest show. And I'll see you then. Thanks. Listen to our new shows with guests every Sunday night at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. All new shows and archives are available at blogtalkradio.com forward slash lost arts radio. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash lost arts radio. We're on Twitter at lost arts radio. Our YouTube channel is youtube.com forward slash the letter C slash Lost Arts Radio. Again, youtube.com slash C slash Lost Arts Radio. And scene.life, we're at Lost Arts Radio forward slash profile. When you do your Amazon shopping, please use Amazon's Smile program at smile.amazon.com. And when you choose Lost Arts Research Institute in Sedona, Arizona as your charity, Amazon will donate half a percent of whatever your order total is to Lost Arts Research Institute to help fund the building of the school and keep our radio show on the air. Please visit lostartsresearchinstitute.org for more information on the school we want to build. Be sure to sign up for our free weekly newsletter on our site under the Radio Show tab or right from the button on our Facebook page. You're also invited to join our free user forum on our website at lostartsradio.com. You can ask Richard a question there or post about any subject that you're interested in. Our forum is growing and we'd love to have you be part of that community. We keep it troll-free, so don't worry about others, paid or otherwise, speaking negatively or engaging in some sort of debunking tactic fakery. I closely monitor the forum for abuse and we have a very strict one-strike-and-you're-out policy, which is why we require you to register your email address along with whatever screen name or username you want to use. We also have links to all of the great independent musicians whose music we feature each week on Lost Arts Radio. And if you like Lost Arts Radio, please consider donating a few bucks to help keep us on the air. We spend many, many hours each week to bring you the best show we can with the best guests around. You can find our donate button on our website at lostartsradio.com. Contact Richard at richard at lostartsradio.com or myself, Doug Diamond, at doug at lostartsradio.com. Thanks again for listening to Lost Arts Radio, and we'll see you again next week. Sound of your voice. Yes, I am you.